Good morning, Arbor. Good to see you. Uh, well, today is graduation day. Uh, we are on the last day of school, the fourth and final week of our Discover class. So hopefully when you came in this morning, you noticed you had a study guide sitting on your, uh, on your chair. You can go ahead and grab that. If you don't uh, have one on your chair, just grab your neighbors and you can follow along. Uh, if you're watching this back online, uh, your study guide is located at the bottom of the message description. If you are new today, this is your first time, I want to say welcome. Glad you're here. Truly glad you're here. Uh, this, we desire it to be a safe place for anybody to go ahead and process their faith journey. But it would be good, however, to let you know that today specifically, you will be walking into kind of like the end of the movie. This is, uh, this is the last or final act of a four-part um, play. And so basically what we've done is we've spent the last three weeks walking through our brand new on-ramping process, a class that explores the back roads of our church. Moving forward, my friends, this will be ongoing. So this will happen. It will start on the very first Sunday of every single month. It will happen at 11 a.m., and it will happen simultaneously to second service. It will be led by Anna, our executive pastor, and eventually, when we get this place remodeled, those two offices back there, that will become one classroom, and that's where it will be just outside the lobby. So that's where this is going to happen. Our hope is that this class moving forward, and the reason we've kind of walked and spent four Sundays on it, is that we want to have everybody, uh, you know, shooting at the same target, we want to be on the same page, rowing in the same direction. In the end, we want everybody here in this room, and then everybody stepping on board from this point forward to have an accurate understanding or a big picture perspective of all the great things that is happening and God is doing here at Arbor. And so, quick review of the first three weeks. Uh, we have four questions, uh, four weeks. The first question, first week, was why? Why does Arbor exist? And the reason, bottom line answer, is Arbor exists for life change, life change. To put it simply, our lives have been magnificently changed by the uh, saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so what we desire to do is to share that experience and allow others to experience the same thing, life change. What is the purpose of our church? And that is simple. You saw it walking into the lobby. It is making disciples together. We pull this straight from Matthew 28, the words of Jesus when he gave us the great commission to go and make disciples, to bring clarity to what that phrase means that Jesus says, we said that it is people helping people both find and follow Jesus. Last week was a fun one because it was all the details. It was the programmatics, if you will, and we talked about how. How are we going to accomplish this purpose of making disciples? And we said it was going to be in three ways. One was encountering Jesus together on Sunday mornings. That's what we're doing right here. That's our hope. Uh, two was growing people together in groups. This is where we not only grow closer together, but we'd grow, clo we'd grow closer to Christ. Uh, three would be helping the hurting through outreach. Uh, this has been on our hearts since day one, is that we desire to help those who are hurting. That is the how, the what, the why, and the how. Today we're going to talk about the who. Who accomplishes the purpose? Who is responsible? Who is on the hook 
to get her done. And since this is class, I will ask you, who do you think the who is besides that one band that played at the Super Bowl one year that nobody knew about? Who is the who that I'm talking about here? Exactly. You and me and we. We are the who. And so to put it in one frame, one word, if you will, the who is family. The who is family. If you want to fill it in on your outline, it is family. Of all the word pictures, of all the metaphors that you use to describe the church, this one stands above the rest, so much so that you really cannot even call it a metaphor, because a metaphor is something that describes, it is like or similar to. For example, people tell me all the time, Jake, you are built like a tank, and I am I a tank? No, I am not a tank. I am not a tank. No, but I am built like a tank. People will say, hey, Jake, you have a heart of gold, right? And they mean that, hey, Jake, you're just really sweet. Or they'll say, Jake, your face is like that of a warrior angel dipped in motor oil. They say this all the time, okay? This is all the time people say this. None of those things are exactly who they am. They're used to describe who I am. They are metaphors. But this church, the idea that church and family, it's not a metaphor. It is a literal description of the phenomenon known as the church. Church is not like family Church is family. God is literally our father. We are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how the early church described and identified themselves. It was who they were, and it is who we still are today. We are not like family. We are family. This was never more apparent to me that this church is family than when we had a barbecue two years ago. Two years ago, I don't know if you remember, we just did it in the parking lot. We served hot dogs. The parking team put it on. It was beautiful. And in the midst of that, we had a situation go down on, from my family. It made me realize, hey, this whole church is a family. Uh, growing up, we used to pee in the yard. That was the way it worked. I worked out in the country. You could go and you can just go in the yard. I went in the yard. The dogs went in the yard. My sisters went in the yard. It was fine. Everybody just went in the yard. We're family. And so we live out in Snohomish, and my son, we were teaching him, it's okay to pee as long as you find a bush. And so he would go around the yard, and we'd sometimes just see him drop his pants in the middle of the yard, and there he goes. He's five years old, just turned five this last week. So we're at the barbecue, and we're teaching my son this. And my wife and I were having conversation at the table that we were at. Garrett is right over here. And this Garrett, well, you've got to talk to Garrett about this. But he saw the whole thing happen firsthand where all of a sudden my son gets up, walks right behind, didn't find a bush, just right behind mom and dad. We can't see him. He drops his pants in the parking lot in the middle of the church barbecue. Garrett sees the whole thing, starts laughing. I notice that Garrett's laughing. I look at Garrett. Garrett's laughing and looking this direction. I turn and I look, and there's my son's rear end just going right there with a stream like a rainbow that is flying out. And what is terrible is we turn, my wife and I turn at the same time in shock and in horror of what's going on. And the, my son, so we grab him and we turn him. And, then, <laughs> and when we turn him, there was a couple that was come to the church and they just walked through, and she was wearing a skirt, peoples. <laughs> Baptized at the shins. 
we are family. And it was in that moment that I thought, if we can pee on you, then we are family. That's how it goes. Family is messy. And we know this to be true. And there are good things about family and there are not so good things about family. But one thing I know for sure is there's no perfect family. And there is no perfect church. I'm going to tell you right now, this church will never be a perfect church. But we are real. And we are trying. And we are madly in love with Jesus in this place. And so the question I want to ask you today is, do you want to be a part of this family? We're not going to pee on you, I promise. But do you want to be a part of this family? Do you want to be a member of this family? Now, lots of churches have membership. Lots of churches have membership. It's like sign here, you know, raise your right hand, stand on your left foot, you know, give us a urine sample, a blood sample, a hair sample, a sample from Costco. Everything except for like your first unborn child is promised to the church and then you can officially be a member. Be clear on this. We don't do membership. We do family. We don't do membership. We do family. Heck, you guys, we have a family meeting. We don't do membership commitments. What we have are family values. When you were like, when you got into your family, you didn't jump into your family by signing a contract and signing a commitment. That's not how it worked with your family. That's not how it works here. And so here's what we're asking. We are asking, however, that you would uphold the family values. And then this is key. If you are actively upholding the family values of this church, then you are automatically a member of this family. I'll say that again. If you are actively upholding our family values, then you are automatically a member of this family. And so what are they? What what are our family values? Friends, if you desire to be a part of this church family, Here's what we value, and here's what I'm asking of all of us. Number one, first value, is that we would attend regularly. Attend regularly. Should be very clear on this. By attend, we don't just mean Sundays. We mean both Sundays and groups that you would attend regularly. To be crystal, crystal clear, what do we mean when we say regularly? Regularly, we mean attend a few times a month. Talked about it earlier in this class is that the national average for people attending a church on a Sunday is once a month. It is very difficult to create family when you see, only see them 12 times a year. And so, that's the reason for that. The author of Hebrews warns us. He says, let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. You guys, this is important, and I'll shoot straight with you. Every Sunday, we put the message online. On Sundays, you can listen to it. On Mondays, you can watch it. It's all there. We live in an online society where you truly go, and you can just get everything you need online. But why should a person attend? Well, here's why. It's for relationships, It is for the health of that person. It is for the health of you. It's for the health of the family. There is so much more 
to being a part of God's family than downloading a message into our heads. It's more than a message. It's like the example of a teenager in the house who goes up into the house and they stay in their room. And then they don't come down except for 12 times a year. They might make a couple meals. They've developed their own community in their house, online, in there, right? And your teenager's up there, and like, well, come down, it's dinner, but they stay up in their room. Come down, it's game night. They're missing game night. They're missing Christmas, missing so much. It's the same thing why we want to have people come and be present, because we want to be a healthy church. The person, the teenager who's up there, it's not healthy in that sense. When it comes to family community, it's not healthy family. And so we ask that you would attend regularly for the health of yourself and for the health of the church. Secondly, our second value is this, is that you would serve sacrificially. Serve sacrificially. We call this what we're doing right now Sunday service. Sunday service. It is not a performance-oriented church. We are not. We are a participatory church meaning that it's all hands on deck. That's the way it happens. That's how I was raised, friends, truly. I grew up, before I could walk, we were doing chores on Saturday mornings. Cartoons, never happened, right? We couldn't do that because we were out pulling brush to the burn pile. We were working in the garden. We were building a deck. We were adding to the barn, taking care of the animals. That's what we did. We all lend a hand on, Sunday, on Saturday morning, and we're asking the same thing around here. It's a little bit like that. Garrett gave an example early on in the church, and I have loved it. Um, I think it's the greatest example, and that is this. If you were to come to my house, and this church works the same, if you were to come to my house the first time, you are my guest. You are the guest of honor. We will roll out the red carpet for you. We will vacuum. We will light the glassy babies. We are going to do the whole entire thing. Sit back. We will serve you. By the fourth time that you come, You are a regular guest, and at that point in time, feel free to grab whatever you want from the fridge or from the cupboards. My house is your house. By the 10th time that you show up, you are family, and you are not only expected to get your drink on your own, you are expected to help with the dishes. It's how it goes. What happens is this, is that expectations change as time passes and as relationship grows. That's the way it works in our house. It's the way it's going to work in this house. Luke 22, Jesus said this. He said, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and and the leader should be like a servant. And then Jesus asked this question. He said, who is more important the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And like Jesus loves to do, he answered his own question. He said, the one who sits at the table, of course, of which we'd all be like, exactly, yes, everybody knows. That makes perfect sense. But watch this. Jesus says, but not here, for I am among you as what? As one who serves. Jesus himself considered himself a servant. And on Judgment Day, think about this, on Judgment Day, that one day, that most beautiful, breathtaking, the day that we all long for, can barely wait for, what are the words that we want to hear from our Savior so desperately? We want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
When all is said and done, a job well done is the job of a servant. That is what we are to be. And so around here, we want to serve each other as brothers and as sisters inside of the family. So what we've done is we've tried to create opportunities for that. In week um, two, we talked about the opportunity to lead a group. Last week, we talked about outreach opportunities. What I haven't talked about yet is the opportunities to serve on teams. We create these so that family members can have chores, right? Because the job still needs to get done. There's lots of different teams you can join on here, care team, children's team, event team, facilities, photography, prayer. Um, you, got the, you got the parking lot. Parking lot is an amazing team. They are out there all the time. They have developed a family within a family. They're like a brotherhood out there. One of the best ways that you could connect in this church is to serve and to serve on a team. And so we'll talk about these things more and all the opportunities that are out there. But when we say what our family values are around here, it's one, attend regularly. Two is to serve sacrificially. We all stack hands. We all have a part to play. Third value, to be a member of this, our family values, a member of our church is this, is to grow spiritually. Grow spiritually. Peter instructs us, here's what he says. He says, you must, not you should, not you could, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. In week two, we went about this in detail, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here today but we said that salvation is just the start and we have the pleasure and the mandate by Peter and by Jesus to grow in our faith, growing spiritually, becoming like Christ, Christ-like. This is so important. It's such a big deal and essential to the faith that what we've done is we've tried to put together tools that could help all of us. In week number, uh, gosh, what was it? I can't remember what week it was. Week number two, we first unveiled this, the discipleship process. This is simply a way in which you can look at this thing and help identify where am I at in my spiritual growth? And then the best part, what is the next step that I should be taking? It's just a great layout to be able to help us along the way. Again, just a tool. The other thing that we've put together, we've had it since almost the very beginning, are grow tools. God's word is so important, so vital to our blood life, that simply this is we need to know what we are reading and so and, and what God says to us. So our hope was this, is that you could pick up this and not just catch sermons to grow, but you could learn to grow on your own and that you'd be able to turn your Bible to any page that you would want, look at it, and through this be able to understand the context and what's going on through study. So this is another tool. Again, um, Anna told us that they were right there at the connect wall, and so that's where all of this stuff is located. But our third value is simple. From salvation to glorification, from conversion to, uh, to, to you know, completion, from roots to, to fruit, we desire that all of us here would grow spiritually. The next one, fourth value. We're going to spend some time on this one because we haven't talked about it uh, yet in this class and we haven't talked about it a whole lot as a church and that's my bad, but it is to give generously. Give generously. The reason we haven't talked about this um, as a church 
very often is because we're doing fine in this category from a financial standpoint. We have been great stewards as a church, um, and that's wonderful, but the, the thing is is that there are spiritual values that come from that, and people get so tired of hearing about give money, give money, give money, that it was like, oh, well, if we don't have to talk about it, let's not talk about it. But Jesus talked more about uh, giving, and he talked more about treasure than he did talking about heaven. And so there's some spiritual principles behind it. So we'll spend a little bit of time on this right now. First and foremost, so you need to know this, I want to be clear. Uh, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I don't want anything. The church doesn't want anything from you. We want something for you. This is a spiritual issue. God is incredibly interested in what you do with your money. Hear me, not because he needs it. He doesn't need it. God is loaded. God is fine. He doesn't need your money. Psalms 50 says he owns cattle on a thousand hills. In Psalm 95, it says he owns those hills. And then he owns the mountains as well. Haggai says that he owns all the silver and all the gold. And in Revelation 21, it says that he uses that gold for pavement in the kingdom of God. God created and owns everything, including money. He's got plenty of Benjamins. In fact, he created the original Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin. He's totally fine. He doesn't need your money. And so why is he incredibly interested? Why does God care about my money? Here's why. It's because he knows that what we do with our money is an indication of what's going on inside of here. He knows. In fact, Jesus said the primary way to know where a person's heart is is to look at their bank account. That's what he said. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so God is not super interested in your money. What he's interested in is your heart. Money has a way friends, and we, we, I think we know this, it has a way of getting a vice grip on us, on our heart, and Jesus understands that by giving, and especially giving generously, it has a way to break that grip. It has a way to loosen the vice grip. I love this comic. I use it almost every time I talk about money because it's my favorite. It makes me laugh. It says this. It says, well, Chuck, when I baptize you, everything that goes under belongs to God. For some reason, the last thing that we want to surrender, the very last thing that we want to surrender is our money, is our money. But I want to tell you a secret. Here's a secret. You can lean in if you want. It's not your money. It's God's money. All money is God's money. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this. He says, everything is God's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That means, friends, what we are doing is we are managing somebody else's wealth. Our money is not our own. We are stewards of it. A steward is more than the person who hands you peanuts on a plane. It is a person who looks after another person's property. And so, if we are stewards, then what do we do with it? What do we do with the wealth that God has entrusted us with? And I think he's made that very clear inside of his word. What are we supposed to do? Is we're supposed to honor him first. It's as simple as that. Honor him first. Solomon said, honor the Lord God. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And friends, we are wealthy. Let's just stop right there. We are wealthy. 
I was driving through Tacoma yesterday, and a bunch of cars were parked on the grass. And my daughter asked me, why do they park on the grass? I don't know why they park on the grass. It was not a very wealthy community. We, but they have cars. And did you know this? Is that only 18% of the world own one car? And what do we have? Two, three, each? We are wealthy. So when it comes to wealth, we are wealthy. It says to honor God from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Not when it's convenient, not what's left over, first. So that your barns, and then here's the promise, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. The paraphrase of that is this, is that when we honor God first, he provides us with plenty. When we honor God first, he provides us with plenty. Honoring God first is what's known as tithing, not tipping, tithing, becoming a percentage giver. And so here we have ways in which you can give at Arbor. The first way is you can give online. If you go onto our website on the far right top corner, you'll see a button that says give. It's not as complicated as you may think. You can go on there, you can give uh, through credit card or however you want to give. You could also do it the old-fashioned way. Right in front of you, you got an envelope. If you love the ability to be able to write a check or actually put the cash in there and drop that into the offering and that's your way to worship, that's awesome. That's wonderful. My favorite way is automatic giving. This is the way that we do it. And guess what? It is the way that 67% of Arbor um, people give. 67% now. And what I love about it is this, is that you never forget. You choose to be faithful one time, and then all of a sudden you're able to give that percentage that God wants us to give, that tithe on a regular basis. Yes, when the offering buckets come past, I think to myself, oh, it'd be great to put something in here, but I already have. You know what I mean? And then it keeps on going. And I love it. 67%. I'll end this section with this. It says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. And this is often retreated, we, uh, retweeted, by the way. But it came first out of the mouth of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It really is. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. My hope is that we would not only give, but we would give generously in this family. We'd attend regularly. We'd serve sacrificially. We'd grow spiritually. We would give generously. And lastly, fourth and our fifth and final is we would live invitationally. We would live invitationally. We talked about this a lot in week number two, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here either, but it is finding those who are far from Christ and bringing them near. That's what we're saying. Finding those who are far from Christ and bringing them near. Jesus said this. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come, and I love this, to invite the righteous to be my followers. I came to invite sinners. Around here, we call that invitational living, and we, we talk about it a lot. It is simply engaging on common ground, investing in others' well-being, and then having gospel conversations with them. Friends, I would love, truly, I would love that the people of Arbor would be so locked onto Jesus. We'd be so intertwined with him that we would physically Feel this sense of urgency in the pit of our soul to go out and to find those who don't know Christ and bring them near to him.
that we would be compelled to tell, compelled to tell. May it be said of us, as it was said of the apostles, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That, my friends, is what we're asking. Attend regularly. Serve sacrificially. That you would grow spiritually. Give generously and live invitationally. If you are actively upholding those five family values, then you are automatically a member of this family. You are a part of this family. And friends, how crazy healthy would that be if all of us, all of us took those values seriously? What a heavenly sized dent we would make for the kingdom of God if we all took those values seriously. That is a healthy family. That is a healthy church. That's the type of church that I want to be a part of. That would get me up. That's what gets me up in the morning, wakes me up. That's what excites me. That's the kind of church that I want to build and be a part of with each one of you, that we would be making disciples together, together. Friends, that's our preference, making disciples together. We talked about our purpose. We haven't talked about our preference, which is together. Gospel writer Luke said all who believed were together and held everything in common. There is an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mother Teresa said, I can do things you cannot. You can do things I cannot. Together, we can do great things. Babe Ruth said, you may have the greatest bunch of individual stars in the world, but if you haven't played together, if you don't play together, the club ain't worth a darn. Henry Ford, who built the assembly line, said, if everyone is moving forward together, then success will take care of itself. My favorite, Rocky Balboa from the first Rocky movie, said, Adrian's got gaps, I got gaps, together we ain't got no gaps. Together. I love that. Friends, bottom line, I want to do this together with you. I think I said it from the very beginning when we were in the classes way back in October, like three or four years ago, three years ago, I said, I just don't want to do this alone. And I still, that is the same. That's why it has the, the, the addition to making disciples that I want to do it together. I want to do it together with you. But I want us to all know what we are doing together. That's the point of this class. That's the point. I'm going to close with this and ask my friends to help me at this point in time. I'd like them to go ahead and bring in um, something that I made a long time ago. I'll ask Vaughn to come up and join me on stage here. And what they're bringing up here is the tree that I was cutting out on the actual day when I felt like God called me to this church. So a long time ago, after Maggie passed away, the question I had was, what in the world, there we go, where are you going? I don't know where you're headed. There you go. Nice. What in the world, God, do you want me to do? What do you want me to be a part of? What do you want me to do now that this has happened inside of my life? And I was praying that, and I was having those conversations, and as I was doing that, about two in the morning, I was cutting through the tree. Specifically, I was right here when I was cutting through. 
Just using my saw, going right on through, listening to worship music, saying, God, I will do whatever you desire me to do. Whatever it is, I lay it down. What would you like me to do? And it was in that moment, in my garage, at two in the morning, that I felt like God said very clearly, I want you to lead a church. And if you know me then and you know me now, I still never wanted to lead a church. But I heard it so stinking clearly. I was at a wedding last night. You guys, I did a wedding probably one of the hardest weddings I've ever done in my life. The guy, the husband, is passing away. He has, he has about weeks to months to live. He has stage four cancer, but they wanted to get married. So I did that wedding, and as I'm sitting at the wedding um, yesterday, a lady asked me, um, what possessed you to want to lead a church? I'm like, I have no idea, except for the fact that I felt called to do so. If the call wasn't so specific, I wouldn't be doing it. Because it's a hard job. We know that. It is hard to build a church. Most churches are moving backwards. And then I was looking at some of the stats of other churches and things that are going on um, in, in the world of churches, and we're moving forward. This is crazy. We're going the opposite direction when culture's going this way. We're going that way. And for me personally, it started in my garage cutting this section of the tree. So here's what we're going to do. You don't need to sign a contract in this. We're going to spend three songs. We're going to respond to God in this moment. But if you want to be a part of our church, you can sign our family tree. And then we're going to take this tree, and we're going to put it inside of the room that runs these classes. And everybody who wants to be a part of this church can sign our family tree. All right? That's it. The way you stay in the family, the way you're a part of the family is really committing to those five family values. And so I would love it if you would pray, you would take some time, and as we respond here, really ask yourself, do I want to be a part of this family? Being a part of a family is hard. It's not super easy all the time. It is not super easy all the time. Families can be dysfunctional. There's a lot of churches that are dysfunctional. There's a lot of families that are dysfunctional. We want to be a functional, healthy family. And when we do that, and we come here every week, and we lift Jesus up, and we do it in our small groups, and we do it through outreach, and we do it in our lives, Jesus himself will draw people to him, and we will grow the family. More people will come to know him. More people will experience the authentic reality of life change because they saw what the heck are they doing over there? That's different. They'll come in and we'll say, it's Jesus. And they'll be like, nah. And we'll be like, yeah. And they'll be like, okay. That's how it's gonna work. Okay, it's not really complicated. And so if you wanna be a part of our family, this is the day. This is the day. And so I'm gonna pray. We're gonna spend some time responding right? Again, you've got communion on the side. You've got the offering boxes on the side if this is your church. And then if you want to be a part of the church as well, here you are. You can sign our family tree. We're not going to hold you to it. We're not going to say, well, you put your name on the tree. You better stay, right? There's, this is not a contract. This is literally just an expression. I want us to get up out of our chairs and move and do something in response. And we get to sign the original tree. That means so much to me personally. Let's pray.